You're listening to Invited In, a podcast connecting the global family of Samaritan's Purse. I'm Christy Graham, and today I'm welcoming Todd Taylor to the show. Todd has been responding to disasters across the country since 2005. He became full-time with the ministry as a result of Hurricane Katrina. Since then, he has been a part of every major disaster in the U.S., often the first one on the ground for Samaritan's Purse. Today, we're excited to learn more about U.S. disaster relief and its mission to come alongside homeowners to bring relief and compassion in Jesus' name. Todd, thanks for stopping by today. Thank you for having me. Well, we appreciate it. And um, if you don't mind, I always like to hear how the Lord calls and leads you to come here to Samaritan's Purse. And I believe you've been here 14 years, correct? Full-time 14 years. Okay. As of April 26th. Okay. Um, I grew up in a very traditional Southern Baptist family in Eastern North Carolina. Grew up working on a tobacco farm, um, learned the value of hard work, and um, was very active in our family church growing up, and um, listened to the missionaries intently as they came through. But um, I accepted Christ when I was 11 years old and was baptized, and um, it was only just a few years later that um, I kind of pushed that away and started running from the Lord really hard. I was involved in our high school theater and uh, decided to pursue a career in theater production. Um, Went to North Carolina School of the Performing Arts and majored in light design and uh, just really spent a lot of time running to get as far away from all things in Christ as I could. I just, I didn't want to be a Christian. I didn't want to have anything to do with Christianity and, uh, Broke my mom's heart along the way many dozen times. But at School of the Arts, I met my wife with a woman that would be my wife, Anita. And uh, we never dated while we were in college. Um, I didn't want to date her. She was a good Christian woman. and <laughs> Not really what I had in mind. And uh, But God allowed that meeting to happen. Um, from there, I drifted around for several years. And... Uh, in um, 1992, Anita and I reconnected and um, started dating. And in 93, I asked her to be my bride. And um, of course, that meant that I needed to start back going to church on Sundays. And um, we were married in uh, 1993 at her home church in Statesville. And um, we found out we were expecting our first son. In 95, we moved back to where I grew up and um, worked a couple of different jobs. She was a full-time school teacher, was in church every Sunday, but still really didn't want to be there. And for the next eight years, I led a very double life. I was in church on Sundays and, and partied pretty hard during the week. I was not being the husband that God had called me to be, was not being the father for my two sons that God had called me to be. And in... um. In 2001, just before 9-11 happened, it all came to a crashing head. And God just intervened through my mom by saying, reminding me that I was not raised to live the lifestyle I had chosen to live, that I was a precious child of God, and it was time for me to decide who I was going to serve. Mm. Um, I was one day away from my wife filing for divorce, God healed our marriage from a place that most marriages would never heal from. 9-11 happened, 
and a gentleman from North Carolina Southern Baptist came out to our church to talk about North Carolina Baptist men's response to disaster. I was like, that's something I can do. I was a full-time landscape contractor. Hmm. I had two tractors and a shop full of saws and um, just really was able to engage. This is something that I can do. I had no desire for it to be a career. had no idea that was what God was calling. Mm. Was just, that's the way I could help out. And I uh, became involved with North Carolina Baptist for about two years. And uh, we were responding to an ice storm and uh, just made the comment to the state director, if you ever hear of anything full of part-time and disaster relief, would you keep me in mind? Mm-hmm. Six months later, my name was passed along to uh, Samaritan's Purse. And um, as an equipment operator, said, you know, this guy can run the equipment. Give him a call if you need somebody. Mm-hmm. And so in August of 2003, I came up to Boone for my first time, um, met with uh, Miss Barbara Doughton and uh, headed out to Ohio to a flood. Wow. Um, I knew from that point forward that this was God's calling, even though at the time it was just a, a two-week temporary uh, memorandum of understanding. And um, from there, God just continued to, to say, this is what I have for you. And uh, that's, that's kind of how I got started. Wow. So you went back home after that two weeks? Yes. And then later got involved again? Yeah. 2003 was a busy late season for Samaritan's Purse. Uh, we had Hurricane Isabel hit eastern North Carolina um, shortly after we finished up the floods in Ohio. And uh, we were wrapping up our Isabel response when we responded to our first wildfire in um, California, where uh, Dr. David Jeremiah had called the ministry and said, hey, we need help with this fire cleanup. And um, so I got to spend Thanksgiving of 2003 uh, listening to Dr. David Jeremiah speak under a tent uh, with uh, Dennis Agajanian bringing uh, the worship music that Thanksgiving day. So it was quite an experience. And... uh, Came back from that, things were slow. So I went back to work as an equipment operator in eastern North Carolina and volunteered with uh, flooding in Inez, Kentucky, and then with uh, Hurricane Charlie in Punta Gorda, Florida. Just went out as a volunteer and uh, thoroughly enjoyed that. And went back to work, and in 2005, I just finished a large project and uh, told the company I was working for that I really feel like you know, I'm enjoying what I'm doing, but this is not where God's called me. I, mm-hmm going to go with Samaritan's Purse, the next opportunity. And that was a little storm that hit Navarre Beach, Florida, and Milton, Florida. Milton, Florida. It was uh, July of 2005. And I stepped out on faith at that point and said, um, you can come pick up the, the company truck and mail me my last check. Wow. I'm done. And July, I left um, PLT Construction and went to work uh, at the time, it was just on a storm-by-storm basis, but since uh, July of 2005, I've been constantly with Samaritan's Purse. Wow, that's exciting. It's neat to hear the way that God called and equipped you throughout the years and it used is. your gifts and talents for His service. So it wasn't necessarily something you would have picked, but no. you fell in love with the relief work and I Samaritan's did. Purse as a ministry. So when you came, um, how was your family? How was the transition? It was... It was kind of a unique experience where with Hurricane Isabel, we actually set up 
at my church mm-hmm. to begin with in Williamston. And so my wife, my sons, got to meet a lot of the volunteers. That's great. They got to see and participate in, in that life of, um, of disaster work. Um, my mom and her church were involved um, with uh, some of the relief efforts in Plymouth, North Carolina. And um, so our family got to, to watch this progress in my life. Um, then as we went to, as we were preparing to go to, um, out to California to uh, Crest Mountain, I was, I was torn. Um, you know, I'm going to leave my family. It's right here before the holidays. I'm going to definitely miss Thanksgiving. I'd never been away from my sons and my wife at Thanksgiving. And um, I was listening to AFR as we were heading out for the day's work. And um, there was a verse that just popped out that the um, announcer recited. And um, it really confirmed um, what I needed to hear. And that verse was Matthew nineteen twenty nine, where Jesus says that everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters, fathers or mothers, wives or children, or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much an eternal life. It was weird, but that verse Mm. set me at peace to say, it's okay to leave your family for a little while. I've got them. They're going to be fine. Um, My home church circled around my wife and kids as I was gone. They... They um, did extra things with them. And at the same time, Casting Crowns had just released If We Are the Body. Hmm. And um, the song coupled with that verse just gave me the peace to to step out and understand that the Lord's got this. That's wonderful. Um, Can you explain to us what U.S. disaster relief actually looks like at Samaritan's Verse? So it's changed a lot in the last uh, 14 years. Um, when I started, we had just added uh, disaster relief unit two and three. Um, we went from one truck to the, to three, and uh, it's just an incredible time of growth uh, with Hurricane Katrina. But our typical response, we'll have a program manager who is a full-time position with the ministry now. When I started... Um, even through Katrina, with you know, we'd say, you know, is there going to be anything post Katrina? Is there going to be any full time jobs? And our, the immediate response is, no. We're we're probably as big as we're going to be. Uh, was the message that uh, those of us that were pursuing a, a full time calling with Samaritan's Purse were told you know, they didn't want to give us give us hope that there was going to be something beyond Katrina, and um, really didn't know what that was going to look like. But now. Our responses are quite different. Um, we have eight disaster response trucks, and they're 53-foot NASCAR haulers equipped with all kinds of tools like chainsaws and wheelbarrows and ladders and generators and reciprocating saws, just every type of tool imaginable that you would need to be able to, to help a homeowner start the recovery process of a disaster. And so you take a storm happens. You were the first on the ground after Hurricane Harvey. Florence, Michael, those are just a couple. 
When you come into the new city or town and it's been devastated by a storm, what is your first step? We want to look before we get there and identify those key partner churches in that area. We can't do the work that God has called us to do without that local church partner. Of course, we want to work with the local governments and state governments, federal emergency management, but we are there to support that local church to come alongside them during this tough time for them as their uh, congregation may be scattered. They may have had damage to their buildings. Several times we've had to make repairs to the church just so that they could house our teams as they come in. But establishing that base of operation at that local church is one of the first things that we have to do. Um, Some disasters, it's also some going out and looking to verify the level of damage um, to make sure that we're being good stewards with what God's called us to do. If local resources are in place that we can just supplement Mm -hmm. a little bit, or they may already have it under control with some small tornadoes or some wind damage, maybe even minor flooding, the local resources can handle it. But when major catastrophes like Irma and Florence and Harvey and Michael hit, the local resources are very quickly overwhelmed. And that's when the body of believers has such a great opportunity to come alongside that local church and show them that folks from across the nation love them and they're there to support them. And uh, so that's when we stand up. And so one of our first podcasts, our prayer request was Nebraska, because that was when that hit off. And you've recently returned from there, um, the devastation from the flooding. Can you tell us how God's working there? Maybe give some personal insight of what's happening So our teams have been working hard in Nebraska since just a few days after the waters receded. Um, We're in Fremont and Valley. Um, Had a great volunteer response, averaging uh, 75 to 100 volunteers out most days. We've seen um, about 15 people come to accept Christ through the response. And, um, you know, just the church pastor, his first name's Tom, as we met with him originally, he had been in prayer. He had met with his church leadership saying, what are we going to do? We know we've got to do something. I'm a preacher. I know God's Word. I don't know how to go do mud outs. Hmm. God led us to knock on his door. At that moment, they had just finished prayer. Wow. <laughs> and we hear that quite That's frequently. Cool. Our church in Panama City with Michael's the same way. Um, so to come alongside those and uh, during those times, just an incredible opportunity that God gives us. And um, so you've worked for over 14 years in disaster relief. I know this is probably hard, but is there a story or a, um, a homeowner that stands out to you that you would like to share a story <laughs> about a time where God really worked? So I'll go back to Katrina. Um, I had been assigned to help train up our Canadian response team. And um, we had, um, Franklin had come out for a visit, and we were mudding out the home of um, Harold and Lorna Lorna Daniels. And until that point, Samaritan's Purse had never done a rebuild program. And I was standing just behind Franklin as he was talking to Harold. And Franklin stuck out his hand and said, 
Mr. Daniels, we're going to rebuild your house. This was new, (laughs) and it was shocking, and uh, we didn't know what that meant at the time. But that started our rebuild program. And uh, to be there, to be a witness to, to this incredible new area of ministry that God had just opened up the doors, um, that's a moment I'll never forget. That's incredible. And there's rebuilds going on right now, right? That's right. Are there any scripture verses that are especially helpful when you're talking to homeowners, when you're praying with them? Is there anything that really encourages them? For each homeowner, it's different. Um, you know, some of the verses that we often think bring mm-hmm. comfort mm-hmm. can actually bring pain. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the verses that I try to stay away from is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Mm-hmm. For all things work to good for, for those that love him. But when you've just lost everything, you don't see that. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites, Second Corinthians. 12.9, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so Christ's power may rest on me. It's beautiful. And probably just being there, helping them, picking up sticks out of the yard, you know, that speaks volumes. And then they, ha- they can come to a place where they can hear the word and the gospel. That's it. So you have to serve first. Well, thank you so much for sharing um, your stories, and um, especially from the field. I appreciate it. Sometimes we don't even understand you know, what's happening on the ground, so that's why we love hearing uh, personal stories. Um, and as we close, we always uh, have a prayer request, and um, today it's ongoing, our field hospital in Mozambique. But I'd also like for you to give us maybe just a couple practical ways to pray for those that are a responding, you know, our team. Um, but also the homeowners, and how can we pray specifically for these disaster relief? A couple of specific points would be pray for our team and the work that's still being, that's still ongoing in both Panama City, Florida, and in Fremont, Nebraska. Um, both of them are now weeks and months after the storm in Panama City, and our teams are faced with challenges. And um, just pray for those daily challenges. Pray for the homeowners. Um, So many of them don't know what their next steps are. Um, They're waiting on FEMA. They're waiting on building permits. They're waiting for insurance. There's just so many things that are keeping those homeowners in a constant state of limbo. So those are the two specific requests that I would have. Well, thank you. Um, As we close, I would like to just pray right now, and I thank you again for sharing that so we can pray a little more specifically. So I'm going to pray before we end. Lord Jesus, I thank you for um, your ambassadors that you send out. I thank you for people like Todd that are your hands and feet, Lord, to minister to people um, as they're hurting. And so, Father, we do. We lift up, as he said, Panama City and Nebraska that have just been in weeks in the trenches, Lord. And I just pray for encouragement. I pray for um, just wisdom and insight for Samaritan's Purse as they work with the local governments and um, try to foster that relationship. Father, I pray that you would just intercede there. Pray for the homeowners who have just lost hope and are just tired and weary. I pray that you would just give them a refreshing, Father, that only you can bring. And I pray that as we give them physical healing, that you will give them the spiritual healing they need, which is Jesus Christ. And I thank you that we get to do all of this work in your name and for your glory.
We do lift up Mozambique Father and just the the medical staff there at the emergency field hospital that are treating Father over 100 patients a day, Father. And as these patients come pouring in for physical needs and ailments, Lord, I pray again that they will see your radiance and your glory in these doctors and in this staff, Father, that they will see something different and want to know what that is. So I pray that you will be working, that you will be changing lives for eternity because of the work that is happening. And I just thank you for Samaritan's Purse. I thank you for all these kingdom-minded people that are um, putting their lives out on the line uh, for your um, salvation message. And so, Father, I pray that you would continue to bless Samaritan's Purse only for your glory. And, Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Todd, for stopping by today. I appreciated talking with you and and listening to your stories. And um, for the audience, we thank you for joining us. Please uh, tune in next week as we continue to hear what God's doing in and through Samaritan's Purse.